I was you can the one blaming him with that. Awesome, that. Matthews. Very good two-way forward. Nobody's saying Carson wants us to go. All your team sucks, Barker. Pick one. And before Miami fan over here starts talking. Blasphemous. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. What does that tell you? He's terrible. I'm not out here saying Tom Brady's bad. Yeah, you are. Listen, Gary. <laughs> I'm saying pick it. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to Daft Picks, episode 28, season 5. A lot of news today, but with me today is, of course, Parker. What's up? And uh, nobody in the guest chair today, so it's just us back at it again. Lots of news in the hockey world. We talked about it last show. We're going to get into it this week. Major event happened, what was it, like Wednesday at the Blues game in Anaheim? Jay Bomeister collapsed on the bench. Luckily, team doctors from Anaheim, great job. They were able to resuscitate him, took him to the hospital. He's fine now. He had a form of pacemaker put in, but our wishes are with Jay Bomeister that he can come back speedy. Yeah, he's been the longtime anchor for the St. Louis Blues. He's been there forever. Probably could have been a captain if he wanted to. I mean, he had that Ironman streak of like 300 games or something like that a couple seasons ago. So, I mean, he's he's obviously not a finesse player. He's not a skill player, but he's a workhorse. And I haven't yet seen if they expect him to continue his career. I know in previous events, like, uh, I think it was Yuri Fisher did not. Uh, Rich Peverly obviously did not. I'm not positive what the outcome is for this. They're all different situations, but... So do we know what exactly happened to him? Yeah, he had a, a cardiac episode. Essentially, it sounds like he had sort of an arrhythmia on the bench, which does happen. You're not... You haven't been following hockey long enough to remember the Yuri Fisher incident in 2006, I think it was. He passed it on the bench. He was out for six minutes, unresponsive. And that's when the rule for team doctors having to have a, a quick way to the bench, like a clear path was initiated because he could have easily not been resuscitated in that amount of time. Uh, so it's a good thing that those provisions are in place because you see how helpful they can be. But uh, yeah, that's the last time I remember it being a big deal. Peverly also was a different situation in Dallas in like 2015. But we'll see. I don't personally expect him to continue. He'll have a role with the Blues in some way, shape, or form, I'd assume, though. Yeah, most definitely. I don't recall him being with any other team. I feel like he's been there forever, it seems like. I feel like he did play somewhere else, but I, I don't remember where, if, it, if he did. It probably wasn't anywhere for a long time. Now on to some lighter news. There's just so much going on. So, first of all, we have Bruce Boudreau out in Minnesota as coach. I don't know how I feel about that. It's kind of like what you said before, that he's maximized the talent as much as he could, but the goaltending's still not good, and that kills coaches. Yep, and I mean... He's a good coach. Like, Oh, yeah. He's not going to stay unemployed for long. I read an article that he may be going to the Seattle team. Like That could be a possibility, either him or Gallant, possibly. Dude, Seattle's got so many coaches. They've got Gerard Gallant. They've got, like you said, Boudreau, Mike Babcock, and others. I mean, Ron Francis was linked there for a while, too. Dan Bilsma. He got the... Uh, <laughs> dis- <laughs> Disco Dan. <laughs> So we'll see, dude. Very big offseason. And I think, is that expansion draft this year or next year? I want to say it's next year. Yeah, I feel like it's next year. Okay. That'll be interesting. We still don't know the name. We were supposed to know it on the All-Star break. We, we don't. Oh, wait, I thought it was the Seattle Sockeyes or whatever. No, it came out during the All-Star break. Like somebody who had sources that actually the same guy that broke the Golden Knights news when they came in said he found, like, it's going to be the Kraken. Oh, yeah. Whoops. But nothing's official yet. I think it is going to be the Kraken. That's what sources seem to think inside the industry as well. I think being that it's the GM meetings coming up soon, we'll probably find out then. As far as 
staying on topic with the Minnesota Wild. They traded Jason Zucker. And you know who that trade went to? Pittsburgh, yeah. Pittsburgh sent Galchenyuk <laughs> and a first-round pick and someone else for Zucker. Yeah, so the full so, trade was... So essentially Pittsburgh got fleeced a little bit. False. Zucker's not worth a first-round pick. We will argue but. this in a second. The full trade, just for posterity's sake, is Alex Galchenyuk, the first-round conditionalized pick, and the condition is if Pittsburgh misses the playoffs this year, LOL, that it goes to next year for a first-round pick. They're not missing the playoffs, and the other guy was Kalen Addison, who was probably the biggest piece of the deal. Kalen Addison has high upside as an offensive defenseman, although he's struggled at the junior level right now. He's still he's an overager too. I'm okay with the prospect. Now, why do you think we overpaid? I mean, why is Pittsburgh always getting rid of its young defensemen? I don't know. That's true. We, uh, well, I recall a couple years ago, Scott Harrington was sent to the Blue Jackets, and he was like an up-and-coming defensive prospect. He wasn't good. By every measurable number, Scott Harrington was a below-replacement average defenseman. Where is he at now? I'm pretty sure he's in the AHL. I couldn't tell you if he's on an NHL team. I don't think he is. I think he got called up. I know he went to the Leafs training camp, so he, he someone was a free agent. I, I mean, like, from that perspective, we don't really trade them. Like, Derek Puglia, that was a bad pick. And Derek Puglia made his own bad. Like, he had a lot of issues off the ice. Ole Mata... Did not work out. Ole Mata does not count and was completely justified. And we couldn't afford to pay him $3 million to throw the puck around all game. After that, I don't know what other young defensemen we traded. We don't really draft defensemen. That's the problem. We have them, though. Yeah, you have, like, five defensemen in the system, and then you get rid of three of them. Yeah, we can trade Ruidl. He's just always there. Just If you need a problem, put Ruidl in there, you know? More importantly, the question is, what are the Penguins... Draft players at all. Like, why even get a jersey made? Just give it to the team you're going to trade them to. I mean, like, the last couple first-round picks we've had, which is not very many, are not on the team anymore. Derek Poyle's gone. Ole Mott is gone. Casper Kapanen's gone. That's it. Jordan Stahl's gone. That was, yeah, that was from, like, 2007, though. We had first-round picks after that, if you can believe it. I'll tell you why this isn't an overpayment. The Pittsburgh Penguins currently had the fourth-best chance to make the postseason. That means that they have... Almost in your luck. There are 99.6% shots to make it. That's as good as the Lightning, basically. With that said, that pick is probably going to be, at best, it'll be a 24. At worst, probably a 31. I think the Penguins, not being a homer at all, you know I can typically get away from homering. I think that pick's probably going to be 29 to 31. I really see them going far. Not to mention, Galchenuk failed us. Like, he didn't do anything, and he caused his own issues. Zucker's got three years left. $5 million for a depth score who's going to get a chance to play with Sidney Crosby or Malkin is great. I like the deal. I don't think I think it's a win-win for both sides. I think it's a rare case of a hockey deal being a hockey deal. I, know, I would have given like maybe a second or a third for Zucker. It's I don't think just, we have a second. He's What? <laughs> I don't think we have our second-round pick either. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I know Zucker, he's... I mean, don't get me wrong. He's a good player, but I don't think he's a really good player, and I don't think he's a great player. I think he's like a... I don't want to say just, but... He's just a 50-point guy. I think that's Is that the, worth a first-round pick? I think that's where you're wrong. He's a 50-point guy in the Minnesota Wild. What is he with Sidney Crosby? Was Connor Sheary anything before he played with Sidney Crosby? And Jason Zucker has the exact same... Was Connor same. Sheary anything when he was playing with Sidney Crosby? He was. Okay, he was. For, like, for like a week. Nah, dude, he had three good seasons. Jason Zucker, however, has talent. Connor Sheary's a grinder. Jason Zucker, two-way forward... I think you put him on Crosby. I mean, he's gotten close to 30 goals before. I think he can do it again in his sleep. 
if he gets 50, 60 points, who cares? I'm fine with that. Because it also takes the load off of Crosby. Because right now, we're deploying AHL players with Sidney Crosby. I think he had a lineup with Sam Lafferty the other day. Who? Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty good with Penguins prospects because of the baby pens here, but who? <laughs> uh, yeah, Sam Lafferty, at one point early in the season, like in November, was ninth in rookie scoring for forwards. Which is not bad. He had like 18 points. Neat. Yeah, dude, he's, he's alright. Not great. He's alright. I still don't know what to think of Zach Ashton Reese. Like I don't like what I kind like of what kind of a player he's is a he? Grinder. Is he's, he a, he's just a grinder. So he's just a lot like Tanner Glass used to be. He just grinds out. He he can chip in with some points. He's got some fight. He's not gonna hit thirty goals. He might he might get ten. He might get twenty. Twenty goals is probably a high mark. He might get forty points, but he's not. I mean, he's good depth scoring. He's cheap and he's attainable. Pittsburgh loves their college hockey boys. I'll tell you that much. Mm, that's for sure. Going back a little bit to a little bit more troubling topic, this kind of broke last night. So I know you said before the show we talked about the Daniel Carcillo, Paul Bissonnette situation a little bit, right? Yeah. That's, a, that's an interesting situation. Any thoughts on that? I don't know what to think because I don't know either player enough to really get a handle <clears throat> on it. I, I know that Carcillo kept chirping at the other guy, and then the other guy finally just had enough and didn't just like laid into him yeah so around the industry i mean right now so dan carcillo in 2015 had an article with bruce arthur i think of the athletic now and bruce arthur's article basically said that dan carcillo like he knew he was a terrible person when he played hockey like he was he openly admitted to being a bad person like i think he even called himself a racist at one point and he tried to make up for that the past few years you know he's gotten more involved in helping the communities. If you look at his Twitter bio, he's got all kinds of stuff for Chicago. He's really big on mental health and concussion protocols. He was doing a lot of decent work for a while. And then last night, I'm not going to read the tweet for obvious reasons. Paul Bissonnette of the Spit and Chicklets podcast, uh, you also may know him as a former draft pick of the Pittsburgh Penguins, Arizona Coyotes, the lot. Dane Carcillo kind of said something off collar. Paul Bissonnette responded, citing some incidents in Wilkes-Barre where they both played together and basically alluded to the fact that Dan Carcillo is not a great person. It's a really interesting situation because Dan Carcillo has a really bad past, as we talked about, but also Paul Bissonnette and Barstool. Like, Barstool's pretty not a great company for some of the things their fans do and some of the things they honestly do. Is it possible that both parties are wrong here? Am I bored in saying that? I feel like with any sort of situation, more often than not, neither side is in a position where one's completely right and one's completely wrong. I think most of the time we see like these shades of gray where it's like both sides are right in some instance, but also wrong in another. And I feel like this might be one of those instances. Yeah, and like, don't get me wrong, let me rephrase my statement a little bit too. Obviously, assuming Bissonnet is right, I mean... Oh, he is. Carcillo replied to him oh, being like, I apologized to you directly about that a couple months ago. Yeah, so I mean, he actually admitted okay. to what Bissonette which said about him. I was gonna say, out of all the people who work for Barstool, I actually do trust Paul Bissonette because he's got he's had some scoops before, and by all accounts, he seems like a good person. I actually like Paul Bissonette, so knowing that he is right on that gives more credence to the fact that you know maybe he is in the right. But I don't know if Twitter's the place to do that. However. If Dan Carcillo's going around throwing his weight around, maybe it is. I, I don't know. I've seen some interesting takes. A lot of reporters kind of 
alluded the same way. They're like, they didn't really pick a side right or wrong, but they're like, you know, it's good that it's out in the open because you could tell these two just have some kind of blood feud going on. Definitely worth monitoring. I don't know if it's going to become anything bigger. We'll, we'll see. Moving to a, again, a lighter topic. We've kind of bounced around a little bit. Uh, so the Detroit Red Wings, they are historically bad. Are we talking worse than the Colorado Avalanche a couple years ago bad? Yes, I believe. Because didn't that team get like 20 points or like 40 points or something like that? Yeah, like 40-some points. Hear me out here. So the we're going to play a little game. Wait, but I remember, I, I believe it was like the Washington Capitals in like the 90s or whatever had like 17 points or no, no, something no, no. like that. The Capitals in like 1973 when after they were an expansion team or whatever, whatever they came in this the second or third year in the league, they only had like eight wins out of... 50-some games, because that was still when the games were shorter. But oh, I, I was going to say, yeah, the Red Wings had more than eight wins. But this is in the last 10 years. So going off of that, I think I heard this on, it was either the 31 Thoughts show or Steve Dangle podcast. One of them was like, okay, in the past decade, the Detroit Red Wings are on pace to be the worst team, and here's why. There were three teams that had a worse goal differential than them right now. Do you know who those three teams were? I'll give you a hint. Sharks. No, no, no. So 2015, 2016... Last season, the McEichel Sabers that were bad. Oh yeah, where they all, had, where all their defensemen had like minus forty. They were a negative eighty, mostly seven. I think it was eighty-seven I think, goal differential. I think Ristolainen's bad. plus minus is never going to recover from <laughs> nope. that because I believe nope. his career plus minus is like minus like one thirty-five or yep. something. Yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's, it's really bad, <laughs> and it's not really his fault. He's not. An amazing defenseman, but yeah, he's definitely not a negative 400 or whatever he's going to be by the end of his career. So the McEichel Sabres had the Avalanche 2016-17. They were negative 108. And then last year's Buffalo Sabres. Actually, I might have the Sabres reversed. I think it was the McEichel Sabres that were negative 118. Whichever Sabres team it was, they had two Sabres on the list. The Red Wings have negative 98 as of last week. So they only need to let in 20 more goals. Jimmy Howard has two wins at my last check. Two and, like, 20, dude. Weren't you on, like, a pedestal a couple weeks ago being, like, Jimmy Howard's an amazing American goalie? Not even he could save this mess, and he's not even the best American goaltender. I think I said Jimmy Howard at one point was the best American goalie. I think I acknowledged the fact that he's not Jimmy Howard of old anymore. Yeah, well, this is pretty far from not Jimmy Howard of old. This oh, is like come on. this is like ECHL level goaltending. What goaltender in the NHL could have potentially saved this? Jonathan Murray has ten wins for that team, but is there a goalie that could make them positive? Like if I took Carey Price, Vasilevsky, whoever, and put them on this team, could they do any better? Probably not that Ma- much better. Matt Murray, man, all you got to do is shoot five hole. Matt Murray would be negative five, like wins wise. Oh, goodness gracious. It is quite the season for the Detroit Red Wings. Dylan Larkin, he has to make $14 million with his next contract for suffering. Like, can he sue the Red Wings at this point? He has maximum leverage opportunity over the Red Wings because they're not paying anybody. And he's going to blow up their cap. Like, does Steve Eisenman just go, all right, here's my checkbook. Just write whatever you want. Just give me a number. Uh, Steve Eisenman's not the GM to let players bully him around. He's not. I don't know that he has a choice with Dylan Larkin. I don't know if there's a bullying factor there because he's your best player. You can make a case for anybody else yeah, on the team. Yeah, but just because he's your best player doesn't mean he's 
let's say like per like million dollars is like an NHL tier system. Okay. I don't think Dylan Larkin would be worth fourteen million on most other teams. I don't think he's one million dollars less impactful than McDavid. Not even close. I think he is in the realm if we're going based on talent and we're using McDavid as a standard, right? I'd say ten mil. That's where I'd put him. I would say nine or ten, which is in line with Patrick Kane. Because I think when you give Dylan Larkin a team, not even a bunch of good players, just a team, he'll be okay. Give him anybody. Who does he have? Anthony Mantha has been hurt all season. Athanasiu is a joke. All he is is quick. He's got finish, but he's not that good. Zadina's okay, but he's not ready yet. I mean, wait until they have... Next season, uh, the Red Wings will be okay. Seveshnikov might be a factor in, like, two years, maybe. He's getting to the point where he's not a prospect, though. He's about to be 24. I mean, he's, he's past his prime, too. We've, I mean, we've seen late bloomers. I don't think he's enough of a difference maker to make the Olympic elite. However, I think they'll be good enough soon. I know they have those two young defensemen that are going to be really good. In a well, they have Hronik, they have Chalosky, and they have Cider. That's a good little team there. I mean, they'll, they'll be all right defensively. I don't doubt that. And I think Michael Rasmussen projects to be kind of like a Blake Wheeler. That team is going to be good. But do they have a goaltender? They've got somebody. He's not great. I think they'll draft one. More importantly, I think Steve Eisenman's the type of guy who will get a goaltender when he needs one. Why put them through it right now, you know? And not to mention, going back to your point, Steve Eisenman will be bullied. I got a counter-argument to that. Remember a couple of years ago when the Eisenman out thing was trending, when the Lightning were historically bad? Or not historically bad, but bad, like in the Truman years? And right after, like right before Stamco signed, people wanted Eisenman gone because he played around with that Stamco's deal. I don't think he'll let that happen again. That's the only... Mark on his resume is the fact that he almost lost his job over Steven Stamkos not resigning. That was a very real thing. People forget that because of how much recent success they had, but I mean, he's not perfect either. So I don't think he'll let that happen with Larkin, especially a hometown boy. Dylan Larkin is a Detroit boy. Like, he's from there. That's his team. He's going to be a Red Wing for life. So do that information what you will. The All-Star game sucked. Did we talk about that last time? I think we talked about that. Uh, yeah, before. who cares about the All-Star game? Absolutely nobody. <laughs> it's not too early to make playoff predictions. I think the Panthers could be interesting to look out for if Bobrovsky remembers how to play. Because otherwise, they're good. They have, like, uh, Huberdeau's has, like, what? like Very seven, good. Has, like, what? Like, 70 points already or something like that? Yeah. That's... It's nuts. Um, Aaron Ekblad's having the best season of his career. Um, Keith Yandel's very good. You know, he's a fifth forward on the yeah. a fourth forward on the ice. They have Mark Pizik scoring hat tricks against the Leafs, dude. Yeah. Like uh, the Florida Panthers are decent. Real quick, East West team, if you had to pick who's your Stanley Cup teams. Lightning Avalanche. Pittsburgh Avalanche. At least we're revolted on the Avalanche. That's just how good they've been. Too. The the scary thing is that the Avalanche is nowhere near as good as they could be. They're about to get better. And they're the best team in the West. Have you heard the trade rumors? For the Avalanche. What, what, Carey Price? Uh, No, the Avalanche allegedly are in on Kyle Connor. If the Jets decide to become sellers. Oh, boy. Could you imagine? He's already signed. That's the thing. He's already signed. 
they don't need to worry about giving him a contract. He's already signed. He, and he signed for like a kind of a team friendly deal with the Jets because yeah. his is like, what, like six, seven mil? Yeah, dude. If I'm the Avalanche, I jump on that. That's a great deal. They still have like three, like at least three really good prospects that are going to get called up within like the next year. I can really see them becoming a player at the deadline. That's going to be absurd. Definitely a team to keep an eye out for. I also wouldn't sleep on the Capitals. Yeah, for sure. Ovi's just like. He had 17 shots last night. Wait, he what? He had 17 shots. Seven, last night. 17. That's, that's like. That's not even the most this week. That, had, that, that's like more than some teams get a game. He had 19 the other day, like four games ago. He had like. He's had 104 shots, I think it was, in the past 10 games. 104 shots. Who's taking more shots on net than him? Him or the Buffalo Sabres team? Him, maybe. Like, that's incredible. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone else even comes close to putting up the amount of shots he does. I mean, I know uh, Brendan Gallagher puts up a couple two tree, but he was out for like a solid like month and a half. Other news going on: the Carolina Hurricanes finally got a winter classic. Saw that. So. So. Yeah, what's the big deal about the winter classic? Well. First of all, it's a big money grab for the team, so that's good for Carolina. Second of all, everybody said that, like, do you not remember two or three years ago before Tom Dundon bought the team when it was the Carmanoses that had it? They were, like, potentially going to sell the team off. Like, that was a team that was going to relocate, was Carolina. Now they are firmly in place in Raleigh. Attendance is better than ever. They actually have a good team, and they're getting rewarded with it. They get an outdoor game. And from all accounts, it sounds like it's going to be Carolina-Pittsburgh. Do you know the connection there? Jordan Stahl? Nope. What is your deal with Jordan Stahl? <laughs> Jordan Stahl on Team Croatia. Jordan Stahl has been the name of my fantasy team for the past two seasons. Yeah, we're not going to discuss that. Okay. <laughs> fantasy season L this season. Jim Rutherford is the connection, getting back on topic. Because Jim Rutherford got them their first cup in 06. He basically built the foundation for what would become this Carolina Hurricanes team. He traded for Jordan Stahl and a bunch of other of these players. He drafted a bunch of these guys. It would only make sense that his current team takes it on. As a Penguins fan, I would love to see a Pittsburgh-Carolina series. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, that'd be really neat and fun to watch, I think. Do you want to move into the world of baseball? I can't really think of anything for hockey right okay. now. So. It's a shame our friend Ben wasn't here this week because the Mets are Met thing again. Alex Rodriguez might buy the New York Mets. What? But why? He's been a fan of the Mets forever. More importantly, I like to delve into the Derek Jeter a-Rod rivalry, you know, Jeter owns the NL Marlins, A-Rod can own the NL Mets. We always, we know they hate each other. It'd be more for the rivalry. I'd love to see A-Rod buy the Mets. That'd be hilarious. It, it would just be so on brand for the Mets. So, what if he were to buy the Mets? Would it just be a disaster? Would it be it, not it's bad? Been, they've like, been a disaster since the 70s. How much worse could they be? Well, maybe moving from... The ownership that's owned them for like the past 50 years to someone different would be able to maybe flip things up a little bit. First of all, A-Rod knows what it takes to succeed in New York, right? Right. So he would understand what type of players he would need. Right. Even though he's the owner, I assume he's going to have a pretty good say in who he gets. Number two, he is a very good financial person. Say what you will about A-Rod, the person person or the player. Financially, he's got his own businesses. Like He's a very smart businessman. He can afford to do this. He lives in New York, so he has a rooting interest in this. Like, I can definitely see A-Rod succeeding here. And, and at very worst, it can't be worse than what they are. At least it would inject something into the Mets. Off topic, I just looked at hockey scores, and Red Wings are getting pummeled 
by the Penguins. Five of the one, five minutes to go. I didn't even know the game period. started yet. Yeah? Nice. Yeah, it just started. That is what I like to see. Another topic of baseball. This is the one I've been waiting for. The Astros are finally getting their due. So this week, Cody Bellinger of the Dodgers came out and ripped them. He said they every baseball player has lost respect for the Astros organization, the players. He said that Altuve stole the MVP from Aaron Judge in 2017, which if you're a Dodgers fan, basically complimenting the Yankees, that's big news, dude. And he he basically alluded that they're just cheaters and like that's all they're ever going to be. Carlos Correa fired back, saying that if you don't know what you're talking about, shut the up, you know. He's saying, he basically denied the fact that they were ever cheaters, saying that Altuve didn't want to do the cheating thing. Like, a bunch of players came out and spoke on it. Gary Sanchez said if he, he couldn't understand why Altuve wouldn't want his jersey ripped off, he said, you could rip off my pants if you want if I hit a home run. <laughs> That's very on brand for Gary Sanchez. I love that spring training is back because this is my moment. Everything is heating up. I mean, there's rumors that there's going to be Astro players getting hit by the ball, getting beamed intentionally. I am so excited for this. Just don't be cheaters, man. Just Don't be cheaters. Yeah, just don't do that. In our bit of odd news of the week relating to the situation, did you see that Astros fans were boycotting Buffalo Wild Wings? For... All right. Um, there's a bit of a tie into soccer here. I'll, just, I'll go through that quickly. Manchester City got banned from Champions League play for two seasons because they broke fair play regulations. Basically, they undersold how much they were making so they can get more money. So they can't play in the Champions League for two seasons. And Buffalo Wild Wings' Twitter account tweeted at them and said, this is how you punish a cheating team. <laughs> Astros fans took that how you would and ran with it. There were some pretty great replies. I think my favorite tweet of the week, and I wish I could find it, is I think it was from John Boy or somebody. I, I don't want to throw him under the bus if it wasn't him, but it was from somebody, and it was like, how the Astros will be playing this year, and it's like Altuve getting ready to go to bat, and it's air tonight by Phil Collins, like the drum part. <laughs> Oh my god. I, was, I just had so much fun on baseball Twitter this week. Baseball's back, baby. It's back. Can't wait to see uh, Tebow lead the Mets to victory. That might actually happen. At this point, maximum chaos. Why not? They literally have nothing left to lose. Except games. There comes a point where you lose so many games, it just doesn't matter anymore. Oh yeah, what number is that? I don't know. <laughs> Like, once you hit, like, 100? I mean, that's fair. Oh, the Mets. The Maze of Mets. You know why they're called the Maze of Mets? Because they're amazing. I saw Blue Jays infielder Tony Fernandez oh, died. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he died. He was really good. He was a five-time Gold Glove winner. Unfortunate. He was 57, so it wasn't unexpected, but it wasn't expected either. Truth be told, he was part of a class that I don't really remember. He's part of the Big Four, but... Obviously, big enough for the Blue Jays. Had a lot of athletics, uh, like deaths lately. It's just not great. Football, at the owners' meeting, they were discussing expanding the NFL season to 17 games. Why? I don't know. So dumb. Yeah, but the players don't like that one bit. You know, more players get injured, and I, I personally don't like it. Yeah, it's dumb. Like, for what reason? More money, I guess. Wow, yeah. Shocking the NFL. A couple things I wanted to announce quickly before we move on. So, we'll be doing the Daft Picks award show, the Dafties, again this June. We'll have Adam on for that one, and assume we'll both be there. We'll be putting out our brackets for the NHL playoffs very soon. 
like last year, we'll be having our now annual Ducks on the Pond cast for baseball. That'll be fun. Oh, yeah. We finally have our part two. Yes. Yeah, part one's just been sort of sticking there like a sore thumb for like over a year now. Yeah, and I'm, so we'll and I'm just thinking in my head, oh, where's part two? We have to have part two. Ducks on the Pond cast. Oh, boy. I'm, I'm excited. excited. So we'll have some interesting things lined up there. And I have a couple events planned for this season. Well, next season, actually. So um, keep an eye on Twitter for that. I don't know when we're going to announce it. But when I get the details hammered out, we'll announce it. Anything else you want to cover today? Philip Rivers is going to get cut. Where did, think didn't he already get cut? It's either he did or they're waiting until his contract officially ends and then he's getting released. Okay. End of an era with the Chargers. Could be the same for Brady, too. Brady's staying. I, I don't think Brady's leaving. But Rivers, though, it's kind of like... He was always sort of the unsung quarterback from that draft class with Eli and Ben because he put up arguably better numbers than both, just he didn't get the championships. I mean, he was sort of the face of San Diego. Uh, San Diego. While, yeah. When they moved from San Diego to L.A., he still kept his house in San Diego and he commuted to uh, Los Angeles practices and stuff like that. Oh, what, what a guy. Yeah. He loved that city. No one in L.A. cared about the Chargers. Yeah. The only reason why some people tuned in was because of Rivers. And you know, after his last season, you know, he didn't play his best. And I'm just curious where he's going to go. I think the Colts would be an interesting one. I they, mean, they don't they, have luck anymore, so maybe. Yeah, they have, they have a lot of, you know, good talent around there. You know, T.Y. Hilton, really good. Marlon Mack, really good running back. They have a great defense. Rivers could maybe put them on a run. Is it odd that we haven't heard anything about Andrew Luck since he retired? I feel like we would have heard something following up. There's been nothing. He's never really been one for, like, big media coverage, stuff like that. He's always been sort of like a quiet dude. Uh, I guess. Also, have you been watching the XFL? I am vehemently against the XFL. Why? You want the long or the short? Both. Anybody who is a high sensitivity microphone, I'm going to give you three seconds. Turn it down. Ready? Three, two, one. The XFL is not real. First of all, what? give me one... Marketable superstar, and I mean that superstar. Matt McGloin. Marketable superstar. What are the key words there? Cardale Jones. Same answer I get from everybody. Cardale Jones could not make it in the NFL. Was barely, barely a third-string option. Not a good quarterback in the NFL. The XFL is literally a farm system. The biggest reason why the XFL will not work, and I hope that it fails, and I can't wait till it does again. First of all, McMahon's an idiot, and he only knows how to run one thing, that's WWE. And number two, the XFL is afraid. It's afraid to compete with the NFL. Everything I've ever heard about the XFL is that it's the new generation of football. It's the new football. It, it's, it, it, all its fans that come to me and ask me, well, why don't you like the XFL, say that it's this big brand. If it's such a big brand, and if Vince McMahon isn't afraid to compete... Why is he putting games on days and out of season with the NFL? If you want to be the best, you compete with the best. He clearly knows he's not going to compete, just like he does with WWE. He can't compete with the UFC, and he can't, he can't even compete in his own brand. So why is he not competing with the NFL? Because he knows he can't. And in two or three years' time, when the XFL folds, because they haven't gotten a single marketable superstar, or when the NFL buys them out and makes them into a farm system, I'll say I was right. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But it's happened before, and it's going to happen again. They don't have a single player in that league worth buying a jersey for. And that's not offense to them. They're still decent players. They're better than any other player, except for the NFL. But they're just not marketable. There's not a single player. Like you said, Cardale Jones. 
If I showed a fan on the street a Cardell Jones jersey from the NFL, Cam Newton, anybody else, Tom Brady, do you think they'd know who Cardell Jones was? Probably not. And that's my point. No marketable superstars, no reason to believe they can compete, no path to success. You have the floor. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't care one way or another about, okay. the, about the XFL itself. I do like some of the changes they implemented that differentiates the stuff from the NFL. Like, I think the interviews after anything oh is hilarious. God, I hate it. I like, hate it. like, when a kicker misses a field goal, oh, what were you thinking during that missed kick? Or like a quarterback throwing a pick six, oh, why did you throw that ball that way? <laughs> why, why are all the coaches mic'd up every play? Why can I hear the coaches play call? Because the thing is with the XFL is that their whole thing is for the fans. They want to prioritize the fan experience. I really wish we had access to the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme song because it would be playing in my head, dude. Are you kidding me? <laughs> for the fans? When has Vince McMahon ever been for the fans? Well, WWE is known for being outrageously outlandish so i apologize to our friend jim who comes on the show the wwe is trash since the late 90s like i was never a wrestling guy but i at least respected the fact that you know 90s wrestling is at least i mean everybody knows it's, it's mostly staged of course there are real moments but like we know what it is however and since like 2010 every redeeming quality is a heel turn and every heel turn has a redeeming quality you're not writing a story vince you're literally just putting out a product to watch People don't care, like people care about character arcs. They don't care about constant redemption stories. This is not the Young and the Restless. John Cena and other people. I don't know the wrestlers now. Sorry, are not starring in a soap opera. You're literally making TV. It ain't that serious. You're right because John Cena is starring in Doolittle now. He's not. Oh, he is. Now join us for the cinema section. Actually, I know we're not that kind of show. Can we talk about the Oscars quick? Oh, boy. All right. For anybody who came here for sports, you can tune out now if you'd like. Parasite won Best Picture. Deservedly so. I'd like to say, though, I thought 1917 should have gotten the, the nomination. Personally, have you seen 1917? Not yet. Oh, I highly recommend it. Very good. Oh, yeah, I'll take your word for it. Very, very good. Yeah, I never pay attention to those award shows because at the end of the day, I always associate it with being just being a popularity contest. Yeah, I don't watch them either. I just, well, I saw, honestly, I saw the Eminem performance and that was basically it that was pretty good performance though back on topic the one thing that i do genuinely really really like about the xfl that i think maybe could be incorporated by the nfl is you know how the nfl is always like all about player safety and prioritizing player safety even though they have all these lawsuits about cde and them giving out all these settlements to make these people shut up about how you know football is literally giving people concussions and turning them into vegetables so the xfl has this rule for kickoffs where like you have the ball set like on the ground, and then when you're running to do a kickoff to kick it to the other team, no one's allowed to move except for the kicker, and no one can move until he kicks the ball. Okay. So now returns get discouraged, and it's less time players are running at full speed down both ends of the field. Okay. I can see that. I, I feel like you have to like actually see it. To really appreciate it, but I really do think that's an interesting rule, and I could definitely see it being picked up by the NFL at some point if they want to make some good PR for their making the league safer. That's fair. I'll give you that one. Um, one last thing. So, new little segment on our show that's going to become regular. Play of the week. My eyes are rolling so far back in my skull right now, I wish it could be seen. <laughs> Unfortunately, this is strictly an audio medium. So, play of the week. <laughs> 
play of the week. Yeah. What do you mean play of the week? In what? Anything. In anything. anything. I know this is our first time doing I, this. I don't know. I I would have to say Tuka Rask. Okay. This week, sizzling. I, th- I believe he's won like every game he's played this week. And it's like he's given up like five goals in five games. It's nuts. He's playing great. That's fair. Tuka Rask has had a good season so far, too. I'm going to go with hockey, too. I'm going to go with a little bit of a homer pick here. I thought the Crosby pass. Two, three guys. The, the Zucker trades play of the week, even though it's not a play. Shut up. No, no, no. But the Crosby pass to Zucker, that was money. Three man. Next week, we'll come a little bit more prepared. I have a feeling most of mine are going to be baseball-oriented, but we'll, we'll find out. I think that's it for today, though, right? I'd say so. Okay. Um. On that note, you got a little bit of Oscar talk. You got a... Very, very stereotypical play of the week. That's it for the show. We'll see you next time. And we should have a couple more guests coming up here as we break into um, warmer weather, more sports. So thank you all for listening.